Thanks, Ian. Uh, do keep that part of John to John uh, open in front of you. I've got the great benefit of having a microphone. Uh, but isn't it a wonderful thing that uh, they designed buildings in days of old where you didn't even need microphones and you could still hear the Word of God read? For those of you who are new or visiting, uh, let me add my welcome. If we've not had the chance to meet before, my name's Mark. Uh, I generally get the opportunity of uh, caring for our morning congregations. Uh, Paul, who is uh, uh, normally here, uh, is not here due to a, a scratched cornea. Uh, so I'd encourage you to remember him in your prayers. We're going to pray for him. Uh, we'll pray for him in a moment. Uh, we're also going to pray, though, that we might hear the word of God well. I don't know what you're expecting as you come. We're about to spend some time delving into 2 John. I don't know what you're expecting when, when you come before the Word of God. Uh, in uh, the morning congregations, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews. Uh, in chapter 4, there's a great reminder of how we should expect and what we should expect when we come before the Word. Uh, Hebrews 4, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, what do we expect when we hear the word of God? Uh, we expect to be judged. Always sounds terrible, come to church, going to be judged. Not judged by, judged by the word. Uh, as it exposes where your thoughts and attitudes aren't in line with God's. Uh, I'm about to pray that God might do that in us. Uh, if you feel comfortable, because it's a fairly risky prayer, isn't it, to ask God to expose where we don't think like him, because uh, it might turn out to be challenging, and you might have to change. Uh, if you don't want to pray that, that's fine. Um, don't say amen, uh, but keep listening anyway. God might be kind and do it to you regardless. Uh, but if, uh, if you would like to do that, then please join with me and say amen. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to meet together in your name uh, this evening. Uh, we thank you for Paul uh, and we thank you for the great ministry uh, and service he does uh, for us as uh, each week he comes and uh, teaches us the scriptures and cares for us here in the evening. Uh, and Father, we pray for him that uh, he might be healed swiftly uh, from the injury to his eye uh, and that he might rejoin us and, uh, and be with us again next week. Uh, Father, we pray now though as we come before your word uh, that we would come humbly uh, and expectant to be uh, exposed. Uh, Father, we pray that by your spirit you would show us uh, where our thoughts and attitudes aren't in line with yours and change us that we might become more and more the image of Christ. Uh, and We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, tradition has it that the elderly apostle uh, John, uh, good mate of Jesus and author of this particular letter here, uh, he gave a sermon in his final years on love. As the last remaining uh, apostle, uh, John was often invited to preach in various churches. Uh, crowds would gather to hear him, um, though at this stage, late in his life, he was so weak and frail that he needed to be carried to church. And then silence would fall, uh, partly from respect, uh, partly from the fact that he was an old man and it was just hard to hear him. And his sermon... Little children love one another. And then he moved off and he sat down. That was it. That was the sermon. And 
And you're probably wondering what the people there were thinking at the time. Uh, you know, they've come and they've gathered and all they got was little children love one another. Now, perhaps they were relieved. At last, there's a preacher out there who's quick and to the point. <laughs> Isn't that great? Sorry for you tonight. Uh, maybe it's disappointment. You know, you've, you've gone and you've gathered to hear uh, the last of the Lord Jesus' three closest friends. You know, if there's ever a preacher you want to go and hear, it'll be him, surely. And all he had to say to you was, you know, love one another. Yeah, maybe, maybe the people there were concerned. You know, he really is getting a little bit past it. You know, he's a bit old, he's a bit senile. You, you, maybe, maybe people there were struck that the content of Christian life can be summed up just so tightly. Little children love one another. You know, maybe they're challenged. Maybe they're thinking, you know, John's just waiting for, for us to get our act together and live this sermon out before he bothers to give us any more gems. Little children love one another. Uh, The story uh, seems fairly plausible given how much love figures in the parts of the Bible that John put together. Uh, I'm about to inundate you with a couple of verses. I don't expect you to find them, uh, but just feel how often it comes through. Uh, John 13, 34. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John fifteen twelve. my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. John fifteen seventeen. this is my command, love each other. Now, now they're all records John put together of what Jesus taught, but in the first letter John wrote, uh, we get these, 1 John three eleven. this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Uh, 1 John three twenty three. this is his command, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 11 and 12, Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to, hopefully you're picking it up by now, love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made incomplete in us. Yep, it's repetitive, isn't it? But... As we look down at John's second letter, that's the point we need to hear and hear it clearly. Little children love one another. That's the heart of this letter before us. Uh, but of course, like all simple statements, it's easy to say, you know, little children love one another. Uh, they need reflection, don't they, if we're going to go out and live this out. You know, and as we look at the, this letter tonight, some of the benefits is that as we see that the truth of Christ, it simplifies who we must love. And perhaps a little more surprisingly, the truth of Christ simplifies who we must not love. So who do you love? Who who don't you love? Uh, The decision hinges on truth. Because real love is grounded in truth. So John spells that out in those opening verses. Have a look at them with me. Uh, The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, uh, but also all who know the truth, Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. The grounding of love is truth. That's where it starts from. In verse 2, 
John is addressing Christian people, people who have the truth, the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. By that, they, he means you, you people have Jesus, the truth, by his spirit dwelling in you. And people who know the truth of Jesus are actually drawn into his loving family. So in the opening verses, he addresses the church in terms of family as the chosen lady and her children. And he emphasizes in verse 3 the family nature of God the Father and the Father's Son, Jesus. He throws in the extra bit about the Father's Son to emphasize this is family. It's the truth that grounds him in love like a family. Again, verse 5. Now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. You know, throughout this letter, there's an interplay between truth and love and love and truth, and they kind of, you know, they're an inseparable package. You can't have the kind of love that he is going to go on to describe if it isn't grounded in a genuine, a truthful experience of Jesus Christ dwelling in you. And that kind of love is going to be lost if you ever compromise on that truth. Uh, if you ever move away from the grounding. Put simply, um, true love loves truth. You know, I, I want us to see from this letter um, t- two main things. You know, because First of all, because true love loves truth, it defines who you must love. That's kind of verses 4 to 6. Flip side, second thing is, because true love loves truth, it defines who you must not love uh, from 7 on. Uh, first, and, and I'm going to spend longer on this, um, who, who must you love? Uh, you must love one another. Uh, actively, practically, you've got to love fellow Christians. Uh, a kind of love that actually invades every corner of your life. Verse 4, have a look at it. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is you walk in love. If you know Jesus, then you must love his people. You just don't have a choice in that matter. Now, now, John isn't saying everything about love at this point. Um, Jesus teaching elsewhere about uh, uh, neighbours in Luke 10 pushes us to see that, that we can't put arbitrary limits on who we have to love. You know, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, the, the idea there is we've got to love anyone we've got the opportunity to. You know, it's, it's the wonder of people uh, like Bonnie and Jonathan and uh, Selena and, and who else was going? Lex uh, was heading off to... Uh, do the Habitat for Humanity, you know, that loving people, anyone you've got an opportunity to do. This is not the limit of love. You know, again, if you know Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, you'll know probably one of the more uncomfortable teachings of the Bible. Uh, love your enemies. If you ever reflected on that, you realize how uncomfortable that is. You know, the, the Bible recognizes there are complex layers to love. You know, different priorities in who you love. There's a, there's a priority that you've got to love first the people God gave you in creation, like your family. The people you're stuck with, you've got to love them ahead of the complete stranger. Uh, and likewise, you know, there's a priority to love those who need mercy. The Bible talks about the widows and the orphans. You've got to prioritize loving them before you love the, the secure and the self-sufficient. Okay? Love, love for Christians is not the limit of love. 
but it is the essential first step. Now, this, this year is, uh, for us as a church, the year of living generously. And if we're serious about being generous, it's going to begin, the first place is going to be in our love for other Christians. And John is intentionally using um, kind of picture language to show how that love has to get in every part of your lives. Did you notice the language of walking? So in verse 4, your children walking in the truth. And then again, uh, verse 6, that you walk in obedience to his commands. There's something beautiful about the picture of walking that captures all your life. You know, no matter where you go, your, your walk is always with you. You take it with you. Um, everything you do, uh, you know, it's with that style of walking you have. It, it captures your life. It's identifiable. You, know, you can spot what people are saying about themselves by the way they walk. You know, so you can spot the guy coming you know, from a mile off, his chest's out, shoulders back, and the chin's up a little bit, and you kind of go, I know exactly the kind of guy you are, and that's why I don't want to meet you. Um, you know, or you know, the, there's the, the walk of you know, you know, particularly tall women who feel you know, they slouch a little because they're just uncomfortable, they don't want to stand out. The, the, your walk captures who you are. Uh, the um, Australian kind of poet and songwriter Paul Kelly wrote a song, Same Old Walk, uh, he rediscovers in the story of the song, he rediscovers a former flame of his at an airport terminal. And uh, to quote him, you're wearing shades, your hair is red, it used to be light brown. I nearly didn't recognise, but then my heart unwound. I see you've got the same old walk. You can spot people, can't you? And how would people describe your walk? You know, would they spot you and say, oh, yep, she's still got that same old walk of love. And would they look at it and you say, oh yeah, that guy, he, he walks in truth, in obedience to God. See, John wants every, every corner of his readers' lives to be characterized by love for one another. Yeah, at, at its very simplest, um, Christian love is being committed to uh, the good of someone else with the same kind of commitment you have to doing good things for yourself. You know, the way that you want to be pampered, you pamper them. Uh, and you must love other Christians, that's who. Um, how? Well, in the context of the rest of this letter, uh, we'll eventually get on to talk about who you mustn't love. Um, In the context of this letter, the how is about hospitality and fellowship. Um, Hospitality, uh, in the biblical sense of the word, uh, is a mile away from our use of the word. Uh, I'm going to spend a disproportionate amount of time really talking about it because we need to debunk it. Biblical hospitality is the idea of um, finding a stranger, inviting them in, making them a guest and therefore a friend. Uh, By its very nature, you can't have that reciprocated. Because once I've invited you, a stranger, in, you've become my guest and my friend. When you invite me back, you're just inviting me as a friend. It's not hospitality anymore. It's it's a completely different way to the way we think about it. We, We have an industry that we call the hospitality industry, um, which if you carefully notice, you'll realize is completely inhospitable. You know, you are paying them to be nice to you. That's, that's not hospitality. Um, you know, again, we, we, we buy into that and get confused. We invite friends over. Uh, you know, Friday night, we put on a great meal for them, have a wonderful dinner party. We go to bed exhausted thinking, whew, lovely night, but gee, hospitality's hard work. No. Like, you had a great time with your friends. It's just not hospitality. Um, now, don't hear me wrong. I'm all for having your friends over on a Friday night and enjoying their company. It's really good. Keep it up. Just don't think it's hospitality. It's having your friends over. Um, they're very different. And even as a culture, we're not even good at that. Uh, so 
a uh, study came out about two months ago saying that Australians spend only 7% of our leisure time entertaining our friends. Okay, that's not hospitality. That's not inviting strangers into your life. That's just 7% of leisure time with your friends. Uh, in Turkey, apparently, they spend 43% of their leisure time that way. Uh, do you know what we spend 43% of our leisure time doing? Yeah, watching telly. Hospitality, inviting these other Christian strangers into your homes, into your lives, is a profound expression of love. That's what John is pushing in this walk that he wants people to have. A family from um, uh, the morning service moved to the UK last year. Uh, Here are some excerpts of emails that they wrote me over that time. Um, Be assured it's with permission. Uh, The church people here have been great. Uh, Melinda has had visits almost every day from other mums with young kids and we had Sunday lunch with a lovely family from church last week. They do the Sunday lunch thing here really well. From another email. Uh, We moved on Wednesday and are still unpacking and reorganising. It's chaos and Melinda is very worn out. But within two weeks we'll be set. Uh, A couple of ladies from church have just popped around unannounced with food and prepared meals to help. Uh, Yesterday, one lady just turned up at the front door, spent the whole day helping watch Portia and Ingrid, their two little girls, uh, so Melinda could do some more unpacking and organising. It's been such a blessing to have so much spontaneous and generous help without asking for any of it. The ladies at church uh, are each taking it in turns to come around and help. We haven't even met most of these people before, and those we've met, we've only met once. It's really unbe- uh, is really is unbelievable kindness and has helped enormously when the task of moving it seems too huge. God is truly being honoured by their actions. A final one from them. We had another drama a few weeks back where we had to call an ambulance and rush Portia to hospital because she had a febrile convulsion. Uh, I was in hospital for two days with her and she recovered fully. Uh, just a bad virus that caused her temperature to skyrocket. Uh, Pretty scary when it happened. Again, people from church were fantastic. They dropped me in food and clothes to change into uh, when I was stuck in the hospital and visited Melinda. They've been extremely supportive. That's hospitality. Uh, Inviting these Christian strangers into your life and caring for them and loving them with the kind of love you want for yourself. And that's the opportunity that lies before us tonight, isn't it? with people who sit beside us, and some of them are strange to you, or at least they're strangers to you. Uh, And there's an opportunity there for you, uh, as they've now crossed your path, to actually go and put love into practice, to to invite them into your life. You know, the the supper we have after church is actually essential to church life. Uh, Not because necessarily of what happens there, but the launch pad it is to do hospitality. It's not just a chance to catch up with your friends, it's a chance to meet the strange Christian and invite them into your life and be hospitable. Yeah, and I've got to say, if, if you grasp this in any real sense, um, you'll realise that this kind of love is fairly scary, inviting strangers into be guests and share your life with them. Uh, someone I read on this topic said, spend some money and one Saturday afternoon every eight weeks preparing for Sunday coffee hour? Sure. Uh, devote time, money and risk welcoming a stranger into our midst? Not so sure. Yeah, it, it, it sounds intimidating. But isn't all godliness? You know, it sounds intimidating, but it's nothing that God himself 
hasn't experienced and wouldn't do. Uh, so when he's saying those commands in 4, 5 and 6 to love, it's exactly what God does. Love is there from the beginning because at the beginning, before creation, we've just been looking at Genesis, but before creation was God himself, Father, Son and Spirit in perfect love. And yet he throws that open to invite strangers in. At the cross, the Lord Jesus is inviting, inviting people who are his enemies in to become part of the family. That's hospitality, isn't it? God is not asking us to do anything that he himself wouldn't do. And yet, it's still scary, like all godliness. And like all godliness, it can still be learnt. A lecturer at Duke University um, recounts visiting a, an elderly couple who are in their 80s. Uh, at the time, that the husband was um, confined to a wheelchair. He was battling dementia. There were moments where he couldn't even remember his wife. She likewise was you know, an 80-year-old woman who was being worn down by caring for him. Uh, as a couple, they had lived hospitality out, uh, particularly to the students at the university, uh, particularly to internationals. Uh, so they'd run for a long time Friday night badminton night. Yep, sounds great, doesn't it? Uh, for 30 years, they had run this night and over 3,000 international students had been a part of it over time. Most of them had ended up coming to their place for a home-cooked meal. Uh, and so they had kind of connections with people all around the world. You know, this kind of life of hospitality had started years before, um, back in Britain in World War II. Uh, they had run Bible studies for the German POWs. And not only that, they, they used to give a portion of their rations each week and, and share them with those in need, particularly those POWs. Now, they used to give away so much that others in town realised what they were doing and had to give them food to keep looking after them. Yeah, and the lecturer, I suppose, recounted the impact of this life of hospitality uh, when he was taken aback by this guy's closing words. So, you know, all through the conversation, this, this frail man, uh, you know, seemed like he was in a kind of haze of dementia. He hadn't spoken much. And the times that he had spoken, it was, it was a little unclear to know whether he was really with the conversation or not. Uh, and yet, when it came to saying goodbye with confidence and warmth, he says this, come and visit us again when you can. And remember... If you ever need food or anything else, we will gladly offer you whatever we have on the stove or in the refrigerator. You always have a home here. Now, this is coming from the man confined to the wheelchair, you know, the man who's unable to get in and out of bed without assistance, the man who you know, kind of intermittently forgot how many kids he had, and yet none, nonetheless he's the one offering hospitality. Why? Because it was just so natural. Hospitality had just become so much a part of this couple's life that, that it was second nature, that even when he wasn't quite with it, he was still offering that kind of hospitality. He had walked love. He had cultivated, they had cultivated habits of hospitality over the years. You know, now I know it's hard for us living here. I know most of us live in units. And so, yep, we're going to have to be more creative, aren't we? We're just going to have to be a little bit more clever about how we open up our lives and invite these strangers in and be hospitable. But wouldn't it be just a beautiful thing if people could say of your life and of our church that we walked in love like that? Uh, the other expression of loving one another much shorter is fellowship. You know, f fellowship is the, the end point of hospitality. So you've, you've taken the stranger, you've drawn them in, they're a guest, they're a friend, and now we're in fellowship. What, what, the idea there is we've got a common goal. The common goal for us as Christians is the truth. 
uh, the, the true message of the gospel, Jesus himself. You know, Jesus in his kindness entrusts that message to his people uh, individually and corporately here in the church uh, as a family. Yeah, and fellowship is that expression that now I've invited them in. We work together for the same goal of making the truth defended and known. You know, it's, it's not just the job of somebody like Haley, our outreach pastor, to make the truth of Jesus known. Uh, it's our job to hold on to and make the truth known. You know, God intentionally made you different from the person that you're sitting next to. Uh, and for all sorts of good reasons, not the least, if, if they weren't, you'd be tempted to think you shouldn't work with them and you could do it all on your own. Uh, but the great thing is he made you different, that together in fellowship, by, by giving our time, our finances, using our individual gifts and skills and connections, our prayers, our energy, together Christ might be glorified in Kirribilli and beyond. Now truth, if we grasp the truth, we realize truth has to get out. Yeah, and true love loves truth and wants truth to be known. And so we love our fellow Christians and we, we work together with any fellow Christian we can find to make the truth known. But there's a flip side. Uh, second and much shorter, um, John wants us to be very clear on who we must not love. True love loves truth and so love has limits. And there are people you you must not ever love. Verse 7. Have a look at it. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Uh, Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead, doesn't continue in the teaching of Christ, doesn't have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, the truth, don't take him into your house or welcome him. Don't show him hospitality. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work, has fellowship with him, shares in the wicked work. Now, because true love loves truth, there's no blind acceptance. Now, in John's circumstances, in his particular time, there's a problem of deceivers. Um, deceivers who'd come from within the church. Now, we're not talking here about the, you know, the, the lovely Buddhist or Muslim or agnostic person at work. We're not talking about your non-Christian friends here. We're talking about people who come from within the church and claim that they know Jesus. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a card-carrying, Jesus-following kind of guy, but actually they deny the truth. That's who we're talking about. You know, and the particular problem in John's day was that there was a denial of the genuine humanity of Jesus. And at stake in verse 8 is eternal life because if the Lord Jesus didn't share our humanity, if he didn't become like one of us, he hasn't really experienced life here. He hasn't experienced temptation. He's not a worthy sacrifice. He hasn't really died. He hasn't really risen. And so sin hasn't really been defeated and there is no victory. You know, and if he hasn't really come as these people are spreading, then truth is being destroyed and lives and eternal souls are being ruined. That's why it matters. In the language of walking, did you notice in verse 9 what they're doing? They run ahead. Rather than staying walking in truth and love, this this is not for them a matter of ignorance, but they are rejecting what they've been told. And then they're trying to spread lies around. John is clear, those kind of people you have to reject. You must not love them. In verse 10, you mustn't receive them. You show, don't show them hospitality. Don't invite them into your home. 
especially don't invite them into the household of God, church. Um, Because if you welcome a deceiver like that in verse 11, what are you doing? You're sharing in his work. You're in fellowship with him. You're involved in that destruction. To the best of my knowledge, um, I don't think that's an immediate issue in our congregation. Thankfully. Uh, So maybe this is a more preventative word than a a dire situation. But we've all got to be on our guard. You know, this this little bit of plastic that kind of passes almost as a pulpit uh, is fairly well guarded by Paul and the leaders of our denomination. But I, I'm not fooling myself and thinking that the only place you hear about Jesus is what's said here in the sermon time. You know, we're, we're all engaged in teaching one another. So what does that mean? We've got to be careful. Each one of us have to be careful. Our regular readers of the Bible say that we actually know where the, 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 the line is drawn in the sand. You know, there's a, a stereotype of preachers who kind of the application every week is, you know, you should read your Bible. Um, and read it more, and every week you come back and that's it. And, you know, uh, hopefully you get a lot more out of church and more things are said than just that. But some weeks it just needs to be said. Um, and this is one of those weeks. So let me say it. You've got to read your Bibles more. Okay? And if you're already reading your Bible uh, regularly, um, push yourself a bit further. Read, read Christian theology. Read people who've wrestled with the Word of God. Why? Because otherwise you'll end up loving the wrong people. You know, you'll fail to love the right people and you'll love people you shouldn't. Um, I know you're busy. Uh, we're all busy, aren't we? Um, it's one of the words I'm trying to get rid of. Uh, you know, people ask you, oh, how are you going? How's your week? Oh, pff, busy. It's kind of so inane. Uh, it says absolutely nothing about what actually happened. Uh, so I'm working at trying to get rid of that. You can pick me up on it later on if you ask me how my weekend was and I tell you that. It was busy, actually. No. Um, you were busy too. But, you know, we've all got decisions and we've all got control over our decisions. It's up to you whether you flick the Bible open or whether you, you know, choose to read the paper or surf the net or flick on the telly. Um, No excuses there. And if you don't know the truth, you will love the wrong people. You will end up in fellowship possibly with the Antichrist. Sound confronting? That's the language of verse 7. Those deceivers of the Antichrist. You know, we're going to pray for our denomination leaders who wrestle with this probably in a more direct way than we do, but, but that danger is never too far away. It's not just an issue out there. You know, true love loves truth, and there are people you've just got to not love. Uh, in the end, I've ended up speaking for a very long time over a very short letter. Uh, and if everything else falls out of your minds... Why don't you go back and remember the Apostle uh, and his super short sermon. Dear children, love one another. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for the way that you lavish love and hospitality on us, the way that you, in the truth of Jesus and his life and death, invite us in to be a part of your family. Father, we ask ask that you would help us to love the truth, and love those who are in the truth. Uh, Father, uh, help us not be um, overwhelmed by fear of what the prospect is to love others uh, with all our lives and in a way that we love ourselves, but give us courage to love uh, those Christians uh, whom we don't know and invite them into our lives. And Father, we pray for your protection on our church, that we would never um, entertain lies uh, that would destroy people, but rather we would always love the truth, uh, that we might love you, 
and care for those who come here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.